Well, good morning, Orangewood. Uh, great to see our kids running off and uh, heading to O-Kids. Uh, we stand uh, every week for God's word as a reminder that it is the authority through which God speaks to us today, right where we are. And uh, you can follow along in Matthew 5. If you have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me as I read. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Jesus speaking. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, before you take a seat, would you pray with me? Uh, gracious Father, would you send your spirit to teach us? Uh, to teach us, uh, to encourage us, uh, Maybe this morning to convict us if needed, um, but more than anything, uh, send your spirit that we would see Jesus, to see our need for him this morning and see the profound love that you have for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Hey, you may be seated. Uh, if you are a guest here with us, we're Really glad you're here. We've uh, been this month uh, in a sermon series called Bad Religion. We've been making our way uh, since last fall through Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And uh, the section we find ourselves in, uh, Jesus is wanting to speak to something each and every one of us longs for. That is life change, life transformation. Uh, but what Jesus wants to uh, exposes kind of these old ways, the, the ways we've normally gone about trying to bring transformation don't really get to the root of the issue. Uh, but Jesus wants to invite us again to see that true goodness, true goodness happens in the inner person. Jesus now turns to something we all may be aware of, the ease of spinning and manipulating the truth. Have you ever heard of a scofflaw? I, I'd never heard this word before, a scofflaw. Um, uh, if you haven't, here, here's the definition. It means a person who defies the law, especially by failing to comply with a law that is difficult to enforce effectively. Uh, the reason I heard about scofflaw is they were using it in an article recently in New York City. Um, apparently, uh, there are many scofflaws living in New York City. Uh, what they have found is drivers are taking fake foliage and attaching it to their license plate to evade tolls and speed cameras and red lights. You may be thinking right now, this sounds like a great idea for the Sun Pass. Uh, here is a picture of one of the license plates they have caught of a scofflaw. That is fake foliage. 
Authorities believe in one year in New York City, they have lost $19 million in unreadable license plates. Now, I know what someone's thinking. Tyler, like, what did you expect? They're New Yorkers. <laughs> but the deception exists in all of us, even at a very young age. The question is, is uh, how, how young uh, do we actually find that, that, that babies uh, begin to lie? Uh, when, when do they start lying? Is it when they start talking? They've actually done a study on this. Out of Tokyo, uh, they did a study and found that uh, babies can cry on cue even when they're not distressed because they know that in their cries, they will receive the affections that they want, even though it is not needed. Those little sinners. <laughs> John Ortberg, uh, I think, put it well. How do these little people learn to lie and cheat and cry on cue? It's because these little people learn from big people. I mean, I mean, we have a, a whole news genre now that's known as fake news. Uh, politicians during debates, they, they actually have fact checkers who are checking everything that is said to see, okay, what was spun? What was manipulated? What, what wasn't actually true? Uh, Oxford Dictionary said in 2016, it's word for the year is post-truth. One politician uh, said it this way, read my lips, read my lips, read my lips, no new taxes. And then two years later, he raised taxes very largely, apparently. I was too young for that moment. <laughs> At the end of the day, how, how do we live into this world? I think, I think we, we find ourselves in some ways uh, like that great scene in A Few Good Men. Uh, if you ever saw the movie, uh, Tom Cruise character and Jack Nicholson. Tom Cruise asks, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson famously, iconically responded what? You can't handle the truth. How do we become the kind of people who can not only handle the truth, but are people of truth. Jesus would like to help us, if we'll let him. He tells us first the need for truth, the need for truth. Uh, Jesus begins and ends this section like this. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Uh, Jesus knows that uh, even at a very early age with our inclination uh, to, to, to lie, to, to spin, to manipulate, uh, even as babies, he knows woven into the fabric of the human person 
is this importance we know for the need of truth. Uh, Jesus tells us here in this passage about swearing. And, and, and in ancient cultures, it, it was different from our modern world. To, today, if you wanted to get someone to uh, confirm their beliefs are true, you, you have them sign a document. Uh, you have them uh, uh, put their initials on the contract. Uh, in, in ancient cultures, they were, they were oral cultures. And so the, the way that you expressed uh, you were telling the truth was an emphatic oath. Um, even some of these oaths, we, we've, we still see them kind of bleeding into our modern world today. I remember as a kid, you, you would have these conversations with, with friends. And, and if the friend really wanted you to know they were telling the truth, uh, they would look at you and they'd say, Tyler, Tyler, cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a what? Needle in my eye. I mean, God, how more emphatic. I, I never had thought about that until I was older. Like, wow, that's pretty gross. Stick a needle in my eye. I want you to know how, how serious I am. Oh, but it's not just little kids, right? I mean, I've had several times as an adult where, where people will pull me aside and they want to pass on to me, uh, hey, Tyler, I am really telling you the truth. I promise you, I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on my mother's grave. Notice all of our oaths are very morbid. I don't know what that is about, but there is an emphatic need for the truth that we all have. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. Uh, Jesus is, is not quoting the Old Testament when he says here, you have heard it said. Uh, what he is quoting is the common interpretation of the day, the, the, the common belief of, of how this gets played out in our lives. He's critiquing his day's idea of truth-telling. Here's the common belief that was happening in his time. If you swore an oath to God, you, you had to keep it. Um, there's multiple passages in the Old Testament that work this out. This is just one of them for you to see it in Leviticus. It says this, Leviticus 19. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name, God's name, falsely. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. There's a very real um, uh, explicit reality that people carry in the first century. Okay, uh, any anytime I swear by the name of God, I have to fulfill that oath. Uh, but they but they realize um, that is incredibly challenging uh, to live life that way. That's incredibly hard. Anything I say that I'm going to do, I make an oath that way. I, that is really hard to to live out. And so they began to spin the truth. They, 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 they said, okay, how can I swear by something that denotes that I'm really, 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 really trying to tell the truth, but also at the same time, I don't feel the same weight as I would if I was making the oath to God. That's what people were doing. We want to speak the truth, but we are prepared to lie if we need to, or if we can't follow through on something we promise. 
And so that's how these sneaky oaths started happening in the first century. I swear by Jerusalem. I swear by earth. I swear by my father. That's how these oaths got started because it was a way of trying to communicate. I promise you, I'm telling you the truth. But if I have to, um, it allows a little out for me. Everything will be okay. We want to be people of the truth, but sometimes lying seems like the best and only option. This is how a little Sunday school girl put it. She said, a lie is an abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in time of trouble. What we have found in the study of every culture that has ever lived, there is lying in every culture because every culture has people in it who lie. Uh, There's a study done by Robert Feldman, and he said that in every 10 minutes, every 10 minutes, we lie 3.3 times every, every 10 minutes. Some sort of spin, some sort of some little deception, it's woven in there. Every, every three minutes, essentially, uh, we say something. Another study came out and, and determined that uh, you and I are lied to by others every five minutes. Uh, so that means over 200 times a day, someone is lying to you. Are you getting suspicious yet? You're like, what's, what's, what did you ask? One researcher said this, quote, the number one finding in surveying people about lying is people lie about how much they lie, end quote. Why do we need the truth? Why do we need the truth? Well, let's start with first what the truth means for me. What's the truth mean for me? First, Jesus is not out against oaths. In, in this passage, some Christian traditions have, have said, oh, Jesus is against all kinds of vows, all kinds of oaths. I, I don't think that's the point Jesus is making. I think the point Jesus is making, rather than the eloquence of your speech, I'm concerned with the expression of your heart. Uh, put another way, Jesus is, prim- rather than being concerned primarily with the righteousness of your words externally, He is concerned about the righteousness of our heart internally. Jonathan Pennington put it this way. Jesus is telling us there is the greater righteousness that is wholeness of the inner person. Wholeness of the inner person. Where where do we see that kind of person? That kind of person who lives from that place. We actually see it in Psalm 15. This is what uh, we read. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill in your presence? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend who swears to his own hurt and does not change. What we see here is the picture of the inner constitution of integrity. The person who enters God's presence speaks truth from their heart. If they make a promise, 
They swear to their own hurt and they do not change. That's what God says. That's the person that can enter. What truth means for me? Why truth is so valuable for the human person? Well, Sam Harris wrote a book on this. He's, he gives at least three reasons for why lying is, uh, in his book, Lying, he gives three reasons why truth is so important for wholeness. He says this for first, small lies lead to big lies. Maybe there was a small lie that was offered at some point, but, but, but like a small match, it can cause a large wildfire. Small lies lead to big lies. Uh, Rachel and I had a, a friend, um, she uh, shared with us she was going through a difficult time in her life. Um, she had been diagnosed with chemo or with cancer. Uh, she began chemo. Uh, her, she shaved her head. Um, she had needle marks on her arms for uh, where the chemo uh, was going in. And, and, and then uh, she leaves town. We, we don't know what happened. We find out later she's on the run uh, from the FBI because she had been embezzling money from her company. Uh, we, I don't know how much, but uh, enough money that she did not pay back and the company ultimately went under. We, we came to find out that she never actually had cancer, never was going through chemo. It, it, this was all a cover-up for a massive drug addiction. And one lie just kept leading to the next lie and they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Small lies lead to big lies. Second, lying brings mental stress to your life. Lying is a house of cards. Uh, uh, carefully crafted, held up ever so carefully, but with the smallest of when it, it just comes toppling over. A pathological liars talk about the stress that they feel of this just continually lying to everybody and, and wonder, okay, what lie did I tell them? I can't remember what I told them. And does that lie match what this other person uh, I told them? And there's a mental stress that they live under. Uh, there's a, a person I know, um, a family not here. You don't know them. Um, but, uh, it just came out that, uh, the husband was cheating on his wife. And after she had kind of put all the pieces together, um, had brought it, it to him that he had been cheating and, uh, his conversation with her went like this. He said, um, you got me. Would it be okay if I continue to have the girlfriend on the side because all the secret affair is just too much stress on me. A real quality guy, you know. But there is a sense of stress that we experience through the deception and lying. What did, what did I tell them? What did I tell the, this guy? The, his only place of honesty was in the point of naming what he had done wrong and the stress that it was creating on him. The mental stress. The final one uh, Harris gives us. He says, lying destroys relationships. Now, this one may be pretty self-explanatory, but we kind of usually think in big terms, big lies. But even the small lies 
uh, begin to warp how we see relationships. Um, I, I had somebody share recently, once again, nobody here, in case you're wondering, you don't know them, um, uh, shared with me, we were just having a conversation and they, someone had passed on some news about this person and this other person chimed and said, hey, I just want to warn you, they exaggerate a lot. They exaggerate a lot. So I'm now carrying a filter with that person. Whenever I see this person of, oh, they exaggerate a lot. When they tell me something, is it actually true? It can destroy our relationships. What truth means for me is that God is inviting you into the wholeness of the inner person, as Pennington put it. But not only what truth means to me, but what truth means to thee, to thee. Our need for truth has less to do with our words and more to do with the person who is watching. It doesn't matter if you swear by earth or heaven, um, you swear by Jerusalem or Orlando. God sees all and he knows. And this is the whole point Psalm 15 is making. God says, who can enter my presence? Who can stand in my presence? The person of truth, because I am the God of truth. This is where the point the writer of Hebrews is making to the church to encourage them. He's saying, he's saying, this is why you can trust the promises of God. This is why you can rest on all that God has accomplished because he is the God of truth. This is how he puts it in Hebrews 6. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God says, this is our hope. This is our hope. This is, he has declared it in his promises. He is a God of truth and he will not lie. He will not change. Uh, his promises are sure to you and you should find great encouragement in that this morning. Friends, if we see how important it is to be a person of truth, um, if we see at a core level we want to tell the truth, why do we lie? Uh, why, why, why do we lie, deceive, bend, and spin the truth? Well, that's our second point, the challenge, the challenge with truth. Um, there is a lot of research that has been done on this. Uh, much of it I left on the editing floor of the sermon so that the sermon did not go three hours. You're welcome. Um, but part of uh, the research they've done is they've discovered our propensity and our, our need to spin and bend the truth. What they have found is that we lie to the level that we are personally okay with it. Dan Ariely wrote a book called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, how we lie to everyone, especially ourselves. And, and he says in that book that we all have a fudge factor. Um, we, we all have this mental flexibility where we allow ourselves to spend the truth to just the right amount that we feel okay with it. 
What are the challenges with truth? I, I have a couple that come to my mind. The first is we have a fear if we get caught in failure. A fear if we get caught in failure. I don't know if, how many of you saw the, the, the video. Uh, it kind of went viral um, of a mom who was asking her daughter, um, did the daughter have cake? Um, the little girl had cake smeared all over her mouth. The mom asked, did you, did you have cake when we told you not to? Nope. The mom asked, are you sure that you sure you didn't have any cake at all? Nope. The little girl had her hands behind her back and she said, I'm going to go wash my hands. They're sticky. (laughs) And the mom said, oh, well, why are they sticky? Oh, they're just sticky. I'm going to go wash my hands. The mom's laughing at this point. And she said, oh, okay, well, can you show me your hands? The girl threw her hands around, held them up, and she goes, it's cake. It's cake. There is a fear of failure. Now, where do little people learn this? Well, they they learn it from big people. The boss says to you, hey, did you read my email yet? Nope. The the IRS essentially asks you every year, hey, did you fudge at all on these taxes? Nope. The old entertainer, Will Rogers, put it like this. Quote, the income tax has made more liars out of the American people than golf has. We will get to golf later. Trust me. (laughs) This is our challenge with truth from the very beginning of creation. God comes to Adam. He said, Adam, what did you do? He said, no, Eve Eve made me do it. God God goes to Eve. Eve, what have you done? The serpent made me me do it. Uh, We all have a fear of approval and letting others down that will drive us in the moment to shift our priorities to fudge when we know that we are faking. Proverbs puts it this way. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. So one challenge with the truth we all have is the fear of letting others down, fear of failure, fear of losing approval. But we also have a challenge with the ease with which lying happens in our life. Um, David Callahan studied lying and cheating, and he put it this way. Americans are not only cheating more in many areas, but are also feeling less guilty about it. We are excusing our lies At the same time, we are appalled by the prevalence of dishonesty. I read a story about an eight-year-old named Jimmy. 
uh, Jimmy came home from school. Uh, he, he had a note with him from his teacher and uh, the teacher uh, was sharing. Uh, she was upset and Jimmy had been written up because he stole a pencil from his classmate, stole a pencil from the classmate. Jimmy's father was furious and upset. Jim, Jimmy, how could you do this? How, how could you um, steal from your classmate? Why, why would you steal from your classmate? And finally, uh, his father said to him, Jimmy, if you needed a pencil, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you just ask? You know very well, Jimmy, I could have brought you dozens of pencils home from my work. Friends, there's a dishonesty that seeps into our life like a hole in a boat. I put it this way, you know, violence, robbery, those are easy to spot, easy uh, to get away or hard to get away with. But we live in a world of misrepresentations and half truths that make lying easy at best and socially acceptable at worst. Maybe no other sport contributes to the deceptiveness in our culture of lying than the sport of golf. I am not a golfer because I'm not a liar. But apparently multiple studies have been done. Psychological studies have been done on the game of golf and they've been conducted to show the ease of fudging that happens in the game of golf. Your, your friend says to you, hey, what did you get on that hole? And you say, put me down for a five. Which means is, I got a six, but that makes me feel bad. And I can't say a four because then that would be too obvious. You know, I was lying. So put me down for a five. The great golfer Arnold Palmer had some advice for your golf game. In case you're wondering, he said this, I have a tip that can take five strokes off anyone's golf game. It's called an eraser. There is an ease with which we operate in this kind of world. Put me down for a five. Uh, put me down for this on my taxes. Uh, put me down for this experience or experiences on my resume. We can't swear to our own hurt. Friends, we have a challenge with the truth. Uh, this is why I, I'm hearing this more and more. We have uh, people ghosting job interviews. Uh, uh, someone says, hey, yeah, I'm going to come in for an interview for this job. The, the, the manager sits down and the person never shows up. That Something better came along. And before you go, millennials. This is the story of Enron. This is the story of Arthur Anderson. 
This is what's happening every time my kids come and want to cuddle with me and get in my lap and, and tell me how much they love me. What they really love is the ice cream that is in the freezer. With all of these challenges to truth, how do we possibly rise above the lying, cheating, spinning, and manipulating that is common in our world? That's our third point. The way to truth. Jesus's invitation to all who would listen to him on that hillside in Galilee was that if you would follow him, if you would commit your life to his way, he would show you through his guidance, through his power, how to become the kind of person where truth was your normal operating system. This is what Jesus means when he says, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Uh, what, what that means is uh, think about the strategies you've taken on for your life. Th think about the ways you have gone about making sense and operating in this world. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. To, to live in the kingdom means I can let go. I can let go of your approval. I can let go of what I think I need and have to have in order to be happy. I can let go of my agenda. I can let go of my need to, to fit in, to, to exaggerate, to spin, to, to manipulate the truth. Because I know that with God in his kingdom, following Jesus, all will Go well. Here are a couple questions to ask yourself today and this week. Number one, is there a line of integrity between your public self and your private self? Or would the people closest to you say they see pretty much the same person? I heard someone say, who you truly are at home is actually who you truly are. Is there an internal consistency between the public and private self? And I hate this reality as I think about it. It's like, why, why did the people closest to me, the, the people who, who love me the most, why do they get the, the, the worst parts of me? Why, why do they get the distracted one, the hurried one, the overwhelmed one? So think about that. Is there a line of integrity. Second, where do I have a spin problem? Uh, uh, where do I tell half truths? Uh, where do I exaggerate to gain the approval of others? Friends, this is a problem actually with pastors. Um, whenever I've spent time with pastors, what I've found through the years is pastors always round up. Hey, how's your church going? You, you really have 115 people at the church, but, uh, oh yeah, it's great. We have 300 coming. Pastors always round up. They never round down. And so for all 2,000 of you here today for this sermon, I promise to always round down. 
Where, where, are you, where are you spinning the truth? Where are, you, where are you exaggerating the truth? Finally, where do I have a problem with gossip and or flattery? I know this is a pretty simplistic definition, but I do think it gets to the heart of it. It's from R. Kent Hughes. He said this, flattery is saying things to the person that I would never say behind their back. And gossip is saying things behind someone's back that I would never say to the person. I know it's simplistic, but I think it gets to the heart of it. Are there areas of flattery or gossip in your life? Those are marks of deception in our speech. Jesus wants to teach us how to live full of grace and truth in his wonderful uh, guidance and kingdom and his leadership. So first, the, the way to truth is following Jesus on the way. But secondly, seeing that Jesus is the way. What do I mean? The story of the Bible is the story of a great promise, longing for fulfillment Uh, We read earlier in Hebrews uh, about how God gave an oath, a promise that he would set all things right. It It was a promise from God of how he will redeem and deliver and save all things. To become a person of truth, we have to see just how much Jesus loved us to bring that promise to reality. What we see is that Jesus is the ultimate picture of Psalm 15. He can enter God's presence as our high priest forever because it tells us he swore to his own hurt. He swore to his own hurt. Uh, Jesus didn't say, "Uh, Father, I have been obedient. Father, I haven't lied. Father, I haven't twisted the truth. I'm not dying for these backstabbing, fudging losers. But instead... Jesus swore to his own hurt, his own hurt, so that the promise of God could blow right into your life of just how much you are loved right here, right now. When we see the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God that we sang about earlier, when we see that we're loved on the spot because of Jesus, We don't have to lie. We don't have to cheat. We don't have to spin for approval because we have the ultimate approval. We we don't have to live and spin and the half truths because we are loved to such an unbelievable death. I know it may be hard for you to believe this, but you are loved to such an unbelievable death that Jesus swore to his own hurt. He swore to his own hurt. And so for all who would come and worship him, No matter the lies we've told or the deception we have lived in, Jesus is on the cross swearing to his own hurt for you. It's astounding. It's unbelievable that you would be loved so much, that I would be loved so much, that that's where where he is for you. Think about this. Think about this. Jesus is, is on the cross dying for Peter. Peter has literally just been asked three times in the span of six hours, hey, Peter, do you know this man? Didn't you walk with this man? Didn't you have fellowship with this man? And Peter, every time emphatically, no, I don't know this guy. Not only is he the lying, the deceit, 
but just the sheer betrayal by Peter. Jesus has poured out his heart, his love, his teaching, his way to Peter and then to be rejected. But friends, I want you to hear me. If, if Jesus is on that cross dying for a scoundrel like Peter, then he's there for you too. He's there for you too. Uh, that's ultimately what happened in Peter's life. Uh, P- Peter, Peter saw uh, Jesus on the cross in that moment of his sin, in the moment of his uh, betrayal of him, uh, his lying and his deception. And he saw it and he was transformed. Uh, he was literally overwhelmed by the love of God at his very worst, at, at rock bottom. And it changed him to see the love of God, to see the promises of God being fulfilled on his behalf, that he could be brought in, that we could be brought in. And it changed Peter. It changed him from the inside out. Listen to how Peter put it in his letter. He says this, you were ransomed from the feudal ways with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And this word is the good news, the good news that was preached to you. And then listen to Peter. He turns it. So put away all malice. And all deceit, and all hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. He saw his Savior on the cross for him in such a way that it moved him to the core of his being. That I don't have to live this way anymore. I don't have to live in this, these lies and deceptions. I can let it go. And, and, and you can too. Would you stand as we close this morning? Friends, uh, Peter, Peter was transformed to make his yes, his yes, and his no, his no, uh, because he saw God's ultimate yes of all the promises in Jesus, that in Jesus, we have all we need. We have all the approval we need. We have all the the promises of God declared to us that you are are safe. You are home in him. And seeing Jesus full of grace and truth, seeing Jesus swear to his own hurt on the cross, Peter was transformed. The question is, what about you? Let's pray. Father, remind us today through your spirit of this profound love and the depths you would go to be all that we need. Uh, may May we see Jesus in our place, the one who never lied, 
but the one who would die in our place so that we can come home to you, Father. We pray this in his name. Amen.